Well, we are continuing uh, this series, Eyewitness News, looking together at the Gospel of Mark. And the title for this message this weekend is Unforgivable, question mark. And we are going to look today at one of the most challenging passages in the entire New Testament. Isn't that fun? I can see you're really looking forward to that. Uh, we're going to be looking at a passage that talks about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. I was thinking yesterday I get to speak on the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit and I always get the 4th of July as well. I think it's kind of a conspiracy really that's going on. But here we go, Mark chapter 3 and verse 20. Mark 3 and verse 20. Then Jesus entered a house and again a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, He is out of his mind. And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, He is possessed by Beelzebul, by the prince of demons. He is driving out demons. So Jesus called them over to him and began to speak to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself... That kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house without first tying him up. Then he can plunder the strong man's house. Truly, I tell you, people can be forgiven all their sins and every slander they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They are guilty of an eternal sin. He said this because they were saying he has an impure spirit. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him and they told him, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and my brothers, he asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. I don't know whether I was being overwhelmed by a fit of nostalgia or something, but this week I started flicking through some old photographs of uh, us, uh, my family, and, uh, and, and looking at some of the clothes we used to wear. Does anyone remember the decade of the 70s and the 80s when... A fashion demon roamed the earth and mugged many of us. And now if you got married in the 70s, you, you look at your wedding photographs and you think, what was I thinking? Uh, I, I discovered this photograph of, um, of Kay and myself. There we are. Um, it's incredible. I've got hair. I've got a lot of hair. In fact, it's sticking out at the front like Florida. Children and small animals used to shelter beneath its shade. It's a remarkable hairstyle. And Kay is looking like she's preparing to go on tour with a country and western band. It's really quite amazing. And does anyone remember stonewashed denim? Anyone remember stonewashed denim? Well, apparently I really liked stonewashed denim, uh, denim because I covered myself uh, in it from... <laughs> Yeah, I know, it's kind of weird, isn't it? And I, and I look at that and I think, well, why, why was I wearing that? I'll tell you why I was wearing that, because everybody was kind of wearing that at the time. We are herding 
creatures. We find comfort in uniformity, gathering around the same styles. So we buy fashions. We, we gather around the same ideas. So we join a club. We like the same music. So a trend begins. Going against the flow can make us feel quite isolated and lonely as we feel like the odd one out. Now, we'd seen previously that Jesus, in Mark's gospel, as Mark traces Jesus' steps, Jesus is increasingly now going against the flow. He had been criticized, and now the criticism and the rejection, they are building. The crowds, some of the crowds, or some in the crowds, think that he's crazy. The religious authorities have now traveled down from Jerusalem and they are saying that he is demon-possessed. But perhaps most hurtfully, his own family, imagine this, Jesus' mother and brothers are terrified that Jesus is out of his mind. And in a sense, they are not a million miles away from the opinion of the Pharisees because the Pharisees were saying he has a demon, and in that culture, sadly, a lot of insanity was considered to be demonically rooted. So Jesus' own family are, are wrestling with this. Jesus is standing very much in isolation, going against the flow. I'm reminded of Psalm 69, verse 8. I'm a foreigner to my own family a stranger to my own mother's children. But this is a very unusual passage because usually Jesus doesn't bother to try to defend himself. But now these accusations are so serious that he enters into a discussion about them and the logic is fairly simple. How can Satan drive out Satan? Jesus is saying, why would a general turn against his own army? Why would a man tear apart his own house? He's appealing to basic logic. But Jesus doesn't only discuss the issue, but he then confronts the attitude behind the issue, and he talks about forgiveness and about the unforgivable sin. So let's, let's see what we can discover from this. And I think you'll find that as we've been privilege today to witness baptisms, that where we are in this text is so appropriate for the occasion of baptism. The first thing is this, if you're following along in the bulletin, the first thing is the reality about us all. The reality about us all, the best of us can do the worst. The reality about us all, the best of us can do the worst. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, he is out of his mind. Anyone walked 30 miles recently? 30 miles is a long way to walk. That's the distance between Nazareth, where Jesus' family was, and Capernaum, which is where they walked to because they were so concerned about him. And as they, they use this term, out of his mind, that's a word that's often used in the classics for insanity. We might say off his head or beside himself. This is reminiscent of the occasion in John 10 where it says the Jews who heard these words were again divided. Many of them said, speaking of Jesus, he is demon possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? And it isn't that Mary and Jesus' brothers show up because they just want to take Jesus to a 
to a coffee place somewhere and have a little conversation and say, hey, look, calm down, this is getting out of hand. The Greek word that is used here means to take him under arrest. They are staging an intervention to try and prevent Jesus from continuing his ministry. How wrong could they have been? Of course, what they were doing, they were doing for the very best reasons and motives. They were concerned for his mental health. But they made a genuine mistake. And I want to say to us today, sometimes we do too. Sometimes, let's be honest about it, we, we plow into something which we know is wrong and we just determine to be headstrong and rebellious and we mess up. We have that capacity. But there are other times when we just genuinely stumble into doing the wrong thing or we do the wrong thing for noble reasons and then if we're not careful, we start to define ourselves by our worst moments. We think, that's what I am, because that's what I did. And then, of course, there are others of us who are just the opposite of that. We tend to think we could never really do anything really terribly naughty. That's other people. Have you ever been around Christians and they hear of someone falling into some sin and they say, I could never do that. I don't understand that. Those are the people that really worry me. Because it seems that they don't have a capacity to understand the fragility of their own humanity. Talking with a friend just yesterday, he's dealing with a horrendous family situation, a Christian family, and he made this comment. He said, the trouble is she can never admit that she's wrong. And there are some people who march through life like that, basically thinking that they are right. And the truth is, that Mary is described in Scripture as being most blessed among women. And she got it wrong. Those who are being baptized today were not being baptized because they're saying that they've arrived. <laughs> On the contrary, they're being baptized because they're saying, I realized I needed to repent. I have been wrong. It is wonderful what a relief when you can just say, yeah, I'm wrong. And I'm just wondering in our gathering together today whether there are some of us and our friends have been trying to tell us and our spouse has repeatedly been trying to tell us and God has been trying to tell us and we've insisted that we're right. And yet as we see Mary and the brothers messing up here, we recognize that we can be wrong. What a breakthrough could occur if we would face that. Then secondly, there's the relief of the good news. The relief of the good news. The worst can be forgiven. The worst can be forgiven. Verse 28, truly I tell you, people can be forgiven all their sins and every slander they utter. Truly I tell you, verily I say unto you, it's a, it's a phrase that Mark uses, or Jesus uses in Mark 13 times, and it literally means, Amen, I say unto you. However, the Jews would normally, in the same way that we do, they would normally say a sentence, and if they agreed with that sentence, they would say, Amen, at the end of the sentence. 
But arrestingly, Jesus says amen at the wrong time. Have you ever been in a church service where someone has said amen at the wrong time? Uh, this happened to me a few weeks ago. I was preaching somewhere. Sometimes preachers make statements that are wrong in order to discuss them, but then someone shouts something out and then embarrasses themselves because they're amening the error rather than the truth. I was preaching recently, and I said, some people think the church is a club for holy people, and a guy shouted out, amen! And I wanted to say, wrong, not a good time. Amen at the wrong time. I've told you before that we used to have a guy in our church uh, when we were church planting in, in England. He used to fall asleep every Sunday morning during the sermon. Every, it was regular. And he would snore so loudly it sounded like a logger was running a chainsaw in the building or a Harley Davidson was being driven around. And, and Christians, you, the, the folks in our church used to get very excited about this. Obviously, they needed to get out more. They found this highly entertaining that suddenly I'm preaching and this guy's sleeping and snoring. And then what this gentleman used to do is he would suddenly wake up and shout, Amen! To try and make me think he'd never been asleep. Like, you know, I'm oblivious to the chainsaw. The only thing is he didn't know what he was amening because he'd just been asleep. And one morning I was preaching about spiritual warfare, and I kind of got a bit loud. He's fast asleep. The peace of God was all over him. I mean, he is deeply resting. Hated to disturb him, really. And uh, I, I got kind of excited, and I said, The devil is defeated. And he woke up and shouted out, Bless his lovely name. <laughs> Caused the stir. Amen at the wrong time. Jesus says amen at the beginning of the sentence. Amen, I say to you. And then he says, people can be forgiven all their sins and every slander they utter. Why does he break step with the culture and put the amen first? It's because he really wants everyone to know that forgiveness is available for all sins. We naturally struggle with forgiveness we're cynical about stuff that is free how many of us ever get an email in our email box telling us that um, we if we just click on this link there's 27 million dollars in Nigeria and someone wants to use our bank account to send that it's a well-known scam and therefore we get cynical about free gifts. When I first came to America, I won six million dollars. How many would like to be my friend? I went running into the house. I said, okay, honey, we've won six million dollars. It says it right here on the envelope. Jeff Lucas has won six million dollars. Isn't that exciting? And she looked at me with a look that she often shares with me. And she said, read the small print. And in tiny microscopic lettering beneath Jeff Lucas's won six million dollars, it said, if he has the winning number, I tore the envelope to shreds. And now I'm kind of cynical about free gifts. And I find it interesting that children maintain an innocence and a receptivity to gifts that adults don't have. If, if I give Stanley, our three-year-old grandson, a candy bar, he doesn't say, Granddad, I am not worthy of this gift. 
I have not cleaned my room. Granddad, my bedroom looks like a reconstruction of the Battle of Armageddon. I am sorry. I cannot accept this gift. I am worthy only to be grounded until I'm 53. No. The candy bar disappears down the infant throat at the speed of light. Now give an adult a gift when it's not their birthday or Christmas and watch the panic and the paralysis. Oh, you shouldn't have! I didn't bring you anything. And we're like that with God. We need to know today, some of us need to know today that forgiveness covers everything. That lurid sin that makes you begin to flush red with embarrassment and shame even now as you remember it. You need to know that forgiveness is there. Forgiveness is there whether you feel like it or not. Sometimes people say to me, well, I've asked God to forgive me, but I don't know, I, I don't feel forgiven. Will someone please tell me what it feels like to feel forgiven? Do you get like a sort of, something go down the back of your spine or goosebumps? Forgiveness is not based on our feelings. It's based on the truth of the Word of God. And forgiveness will always be contested because Satan's primary weapon is not temptation but accusation. He wants to get in your face and tell you that you're trash because if you believe it, you'll act like trash. And the wonderful thing is that Mary and the brothers of Jesus messed up but in Acts chapter 1 and verse 14, we see them later joined with the church in Jerusalem, waiting for the promised Holy Spirit. What torments you? What makes you wake up in the middle of the night with the memory that you wish you could undo? I want you to know that at the end of our service, there'll be a container in the middle here. There are two down the side here, and they're full of stones. I asked for stones to be brought to church this weekend because Saul, who became Paul, before he became a Christian, he helped at the stoning of Stephen. It's obvious that he regretted that terribly and the persecution that he exacted upon the church. A stone probably reminded Paul about the worst thing he'd ever done. I want you to know that at the end of the service, I'm going to invite some chaos around here. I'm going to invite us perhaps to come and get a stone and take it home as a reminder to us that the worst thing about us is forgiven if we have asked for that forgiveness, not because of what we feel, but because of what he says. And then thirdly, and, and here's where we need to do a little work here. Thirdly, there's the way to receive forgiveness through Christ alone. The way to receive forgiveness through Christ alone. Jesus says, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They are guilty of an eternal sin. Now, let's just do a little work for a few minutes. And I want us to, to not skirt around this issue because as a pastor, I have seen terrible tragedies that I will not get into right now, that have resulted from believers reading this verse and thinking that they have blasphemed the Holy Spirit. In fact, whenever I meet passionate Christians, most of them, when they discover this verse, they go through a period of worrying, have I done that? So let's, let's work with this for a moment. 
What is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit not? What isn't it? Well, first of all, it's not cursing the Holy Spirit or cursing God or blaspheming. Paul was a terrible blasphemer. Not only that, but in Acts 26, he says that he traveled around coercing Christians, persecuting them, making them blaspheme. He didn't only blaspheme, but he tormented others to make them blaspheme, and he was forgiven. So it's not about an attitude of blaspheming God. It's not taking the Lord's name in vain. It's not adultery or sexual perversion. It's not murder. It's not multiple murder or even genocide. The blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, very simply, is the ongoing continual rejection of Jesus as Savior and Lord. But I need to add to that very, very carefully. You see, the, we've got to look at the context of this verse. Jesus did not say that these guys had blasphemed the Holy Spirit. He warned them against the possibility. But look at this. First of all, they are very persistent in their evil criticisms of him. They were saying that he was possessed, and the Greek there means to keep on saying. They were resolute. They had a fixed attitude of mind. Their accusation was vile. They said he was working under the power of uh, Beelzebub or Bezeol, the lord of the flies, the lord of the dunghill. This was a vile accusation. And these guys should have known better. These were the scribes. These were the people that gave their lives to studying Scripture. So they were informed, they had knowledge, and yet in that knowledge, they were accusing him of being possessed. So what about those of us who worry sometimes that we might have committed this sin? Let me speak tenderly to you. First of all, there is a sense, I want you to see this, there is a sense that it is technically impossible for that to happen. And the reason for that is that Jesus is no longer physically in the flesh, on the earth, healing and casting out demons. And so as these men saw him physically do what he did and still called him demon-possessed, we do not see him physically, and so the same situation is not created. Are you with me in this? Nod if you're getting that. And so there's a sense in which it's technically um, impossible. But whenever we think about that, can I say, if you're concerned that you've committed the sin, you haven't. <laughs> because if you had, you wouldn't be remotely concerned. You would be so far out there in terms of the hardness of your own heart. You, you wouldn't have any anxiety about that. Any anxiety that you might have committed this is evidence that absolutely you have not. What this does point us to is the truth that forgiveness needs to be received. Why is this the unforgivable sin? Is it because God is unwilling to forgive? No. It's because the person so hardens their heart that they get to the place where it's impossible for them to ask for forgiveness, therefore forgiveness cannot be given. What we do realize, too, is that forgiveness is only available through Jesus. C.S. Lewis said, we must make our choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. We can either shut him up for a fool or we can spit at him and kill him as a demon or we can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. And as, um, as our friends have been baptized uh, this morning, 
We wanted to say today that it, it might well be that there are some of us who need to make that choice today to become followers of Christ. Our prayer team are going to be here at the end ready to pray with you. If you would like clear information about what that means, but you don't want to have to read through a great big book, you're willing to invest four or five minutes to look at that, at guest services today, we've got a little booklet we would like you to take home with you. It's free. If you would like to get this clear and get this sorted and accept the grace of God. Well, the last thing in this text is, fourthly, the renewed community created, the family of the forgiven who live for the will of God. The renewed community created, the family of the forgiven who live for the will of God. Jesus says, whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Recently, I traveled to speak at a conference somewhere, and I had to rent a car. So I went to the Hertz car rental counter, and I met Maureen. Uh, Maureen um, uh, has worked for Hertz for a while, and she said, what are you doing in town? And I said, I'm speaking at a conference. And she said, what kind of conference is it? I said, it's a, it's a Christian conference. She said, oh. She said, I'm a Wesleyan myself. So she said, I suppose that makes, means that we're related in some way. I said, yeah, we're brother and sister, actually. I thought about asking for a friends and family discount, but I thought, you know, that would be a, a little bit tacky. And, and uh, she said, which church are you going to? And I said, I'm going to this Sacramento Christian Center. And she said, oh, she said, the, didn't, didn't the pastor who used to pastor that church, didn't he die just a couple of weeks ago? I said, yeah, his name was Glenn Cole. Glenn Cole, she said. She said, I remember him from when I was a little girl. I went to a vacation Bible school, and Glenn Cole was the pastor. And I remember that he was so kind. Now, I'm, I'm thrilled to hear this, and I'm also conscious that I got off of the shuttle bus first, and behind me, there is a line of people who are fantasizing about my destruction. <laughs> now Maureen rips off a Hertz map and she says, let me show you where the old church used to be when I went to the VBS. And let me show you on the map where our house used to be. It was just down the road from the church. And now the line is building up. And I'm starting to imagine I can hear weapons clicking. <laughs> Maureen and I are having a family occasion at the Hertz rental counter. I stood there for about 20 minutes. I'm thinking if this goes on any longer, we're going to have to have an, an offering and a worship time. This is, this is amazing. You see, the beautiful truth is that this forgiveness creates family. And, and we've got to get that. It really is family. I know sometimes people call each other brother and sister in Christian circles, which can be really useful if you forget someone's name. Great to see you, um, uh, brother. Great. But it's true. We are a community of the forgiven. A community of people who, quite frankly, would not be in this building because we've got any kind of family likeness, because we share the same common interests, because we necessarily get on all the time, a community of young and old and everything in between who gather around the truth that Jesus is Lord and we want his will for our lives. We are family.
I've got this song going on around. I'm about to say, I got all my sisters with me, which is not where I want to go. But whenever I hear that song, and how many know the song I'm talking about? And the shoulders start to go, don't they? It's such a kind of joyful song. And it always brings me back to the fact that that's just the song and this is the truth. We are family. I got all my brothers and sisters with me. Forgiven people, people looking for the will of God. By the way, if we're a family based on forgiveness, let's pass it around. When someone irritates you in Timberline, be nice. I wish there was a Bible verse that said, lighten up my people. Chill out, saith the Lord. <laughs> be quick to be gracious. If you've been part of Timberline for more than six months and no one's made you mad yet, you're probably clinically dead. Get over it. <laughs> but as a family of the forgiven, we pass the grace of God around. Would you pray with me? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you today. For as we've wrestled with a difficult passage of Scripture, we see in it a solemnity, but we also see wonderful truth about the forgiveness of God that is available. We have a stark picture here, Lord, of the truth that we can so easily be wrong. Mary and the brothers got it wrong and sometimes we do too and in this moment Lord we pray together and we pray especially for those of us who really struggle to say I was wrong maybe it's insecurity or pride or a mingling of both but we struggle Let's just pause for a moment as our heads are bowed. And I wonder how many of us, when I was talking about that, you were sitting there thinking, that is me, that's me today, this week. That's where I've been. I've, I've spent my time this week, you're thinking, justifying myself, arguing. I just need to surrender and say, I'm wrong, I'm wrong. If that's you, I'd like to agree in prayer with you as you make that bold decision to face that you've been wrong in that issue, in that area. If that's you, can I ask you just to slip your hand up for a moment and, and hold it there? Would you do it now, please? I'm wrong, you're saying, and I want to face that and, and move forward. I'm not going to fight that knowledge anymore. You can put your hands down and we pray, Lord, for grace to strengthen those who are, who are coming to that place of recognizing that they messed up. Lord, as we've wrestled with this issue about forgiveness, and in a moment we, we're going to think about taking a stone that perhaps represents that which torments us the most. 
I pray for peace to rest upon your people. Lord, that we will choose to accept and believe that your forgiveness is ours, regardless of how we feel. And we pray, Lord, for us as a community of those who long for your will and your purposes. Take us deeper with each other, Lord. and Show us what it really means to be family. We agree together in Jesus' name. Everyone said. Would you take that, that stone and just hold it out in your right hand? Why don't we, if you'd like, just open your left hand. There's nothing there, just it's empty. Lord, as we, as we stand before you today, and as we bring to mind that which perhaps might have the greatest power to torment us and accuse us, as we hold this stone out before you. We thank you that you love us, not with a romantic love that's idealistic and partial. You know us. You know us. But as we open this other hand, it's empty, Lord. Nothing in our hand we bring. Simply to your cross we cling. We thank you that forgiveness is not something we have to earn or feel, but just accept as a free gift. I want to ask you to do something really simple. If you know in your heart you've, you've turned this thing that this stone represents, if you've turned that over to God and you've repented of that and turned away from that, I want you to take that left hand and put it over the stone. Because forgiveness covers it all. God doesn't forget our sins. He doesn't forget our sins. He chooses not to remember them. That's different. They don't slip his mind. But he very definitely and deliberately says, I choose not to remember them. Their sins and their iniquities, I will remember no more. So now, Lord, help us to go into a new week thrilled with your grace. For any who don't know you, Lord, who are looking for you today, we pray as our prayer team gathers, as perhaps they look and think and reflect, we pray, Lord, that you will reveal your heart to them. We agree together now. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. Our prayer team are gathering right away. Can I just say... Uh, the stone or the stones are to take home and not for use in the parking lot if someone irritates.